0: Yeah, it definitely saved my life. There, uh, that is without question. Um, I am on a tangent to get minorities, inclusive, LBGTQ, DEI, where I'm trying to get everyone to row.
1: Hello, and welcome to Steady State Podcast, your rowing fix where the water is always flat, the catches are clean, and you can always hear the cocks in.
2: We're revealing a narrative about rowing culture that celebrates the expansive array of rowers, coaches, and coxswains in a podcast designed to save a real life experience from launch to coxie at every level.
1: We're Rachel Friedman and Tara Morgan, and this is Steady State Podcast. Sit ready.
2: Thanks to everyone who listened to our last episode with Dami Anofco. After losing his vision in his 30s, Dammy was introduced to Capital Adaptive in Washington, D.C. He quickly found support from his new rowing family and found success at regattas. And Dammy is hard to miss around the boathouse. At 6'5", this Nigerian man is a presence. This interview is full of his quietly profound perspectives on rowing and life.
1: If you missed it or any of our episodes, listen anytime at steadystatenetwork.com podcast or subscribe on your favorite podcast app. And while you're there, would you leave us a review? When you do, it helps our podcast get noticed and reach more ears.
2: We are really interested in backstories. The experiences on and off the water that make people, the rowers, coaches, and coxswains they are today. Today we're
1: talking with Tracy Falkenthal of Texas Rowing Center. An introduction to rowing as a teen in California completely changed the trajectory of Tracy's life. And she spent the years since paying it forward as a member of the Army National Guard, a firefighter,
2: a personal trainer, health coach, and rowing coach. So her rowing story is one of finding a way up and a way out through rowing and sport. And we're so honored to talk to her today. So Tracy, thanks so much for joining us.
0: Awesome. Thank you for having me. This is so cool. Hi. I'm excited to talk with you. Pumped to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Yay.
1: Yay. Okay, so Tracy, what's going on in your rowing world this week?
0: Oh, this week we've been doing a whole bunch of events for um, Black Women Who Kayak. That's one of our uh, big organizers that comes and they're trying to get people interested in rowing who wouldn't normally have even thought about it, and they're also doing water sports that people <laughs> don't think about. Uh, we also have quite a bit going on with juniors, so trying to get um, any type of juniors to come out, diversity, uh, different minorities, uh, everybody to come out, not just minorities, but everybody, inclusive ap- um, athletes, LGBTQ. so we're doing a lot of stuff this week with that, different events and stuff like that.
2: So it feels like you're having kind of a season kickoff, and and when you say we, you're talking about Texas Rowing Center.
0: Yes, sorry about that. <laughs> and tech, no, that's okay.
2: We that's, said it earlier, cool. but just to connect those dots, and remind me where Texas Rowing Center is located. What what body of water is that on?
0: It's on Lady Bird Lake, downtown Austin. So uh, the lake runs right through the city. So my goal. In Austin, is to get everybody rowing on Lady Bird Lake. It's hard to miss. It's there all the time, and the water's beautifully flat. Very rarely do we have windy conditions. It's a really great place to row.
2: Plus, you are like uh, kind of like uh, some programs where there's a lot of visibility. People are walking. There's a walking path there, isn't there? I know that when they take the eights out, they have to be careful not to like. Uh, crush people in the walking path who are going by. It's like a walking and cycling uh, parks path.
0: Yeah, girl, you got it right. We have thousands of people walking through our club all day. So it's a really good uh, free advertisement, if you will, to get people to come and try Texas Rowing Center. Uh, It's a rowing center, but uh, 85% of our revenue or more comes from the paddleboard canoe and kayak. So that's sort of like what, that's our bread and butter for being able to row, <laughs> All right. So
2: yeah.
0: uh, it's a good place for getting a lot of foot traffic coming through there. Oh,
1: I have not been there yet. So I can't wait until I get the opportunity. I've heard a lot about it. Uh, how big is the lake? I'm curious.
0: Well, from our dock, we can do what we call dam to dam. So from the dam, from one end, which is you leave the dock and you head west and you head to Redbud Island, that's one end of the lake, down to the other end, which is past uh, Highway 35, and that's, um, about 17,000 meters, uh, and a, in a loop. If you were to do a loop, we call oh, okay. that so it's a, a substantially, uh, huge lake. Actually. Yeah. And, uh, most of us do dam to dam two or three times a week sometimes. Okay. Depending on, um, yeah. Depending on which practice you're in, or if you're doing your own thing, uh, that's a good goal. Yeah. Are you,
2: uh, yourself getting on the water this week?
0: Yes. I've been on the water twice already this week and we're doing ERG testing for the advanced women. So we've been doing that as well.
2: Oh, so your master's women has a, has an advanced track.
0: We do. Yes. It's an advanced women's team. So there's about, I want to say we have about 35 women on the list, actively 30. And then the men have a whole bunch of people too. And then we have a huge junior squad. So yeah, it's a pretty big club. We have about 400 rowing members at Texas Rowing Center.
2: Wow. Yep. That's a actively, lot to manage. Yeah, and actively we
0: don't we don't see 400 people all the time, but we sure. have a lot of we have a lot of members. We also have a huge rowing dock. Our dock is 600 feet long, or 580 feet long, something like that. Ooh. And we have a floating boathouse that's enormous. It's brand new. Um, it's on risers, so it comes. It floats up and down as the as it rains. Uh, we had an old boathouse, which you probably saw when you were there, that we lost a whole bunch of equipment in a flood. Mm. And so the owner Matt Nifton, uh, he's it's a sole owner. He decided that, hey, if I'm going to build another boathouse, it's going to be a floating boathouse. We're not going to lose all this equipment. So it's pretty cool to go into a floating boathouse.
2: Yeah, I met Matt when I was there on the dock Um, and uh, he was such a charismatic uh, force of nature there. It was really fun to meet him. And we talked about learn to row, which is one of my other favorite
0: topics, which is very charismatic and he's a big supporter of anything to do with rowing. He's uh, my number one fan outside of my husband. (laughs) So that's pretty cool. That's great. We're really curious about your rowing
1: origin story. Can you tell us a little bit about when you learned to row?
0: So, uh, put your seatbelt on. (laughs) It's a pretty crazy story. (laughs) Buckle up. Um, When I was about 15 in high school, I was, uh, you know, I'm from California, from the ghetto of Berkeley, Oakland area. I was mixed up with a bunch of really bad people and bad situations. And that's sort of my environment at that time. Uh, latchkey kid, my mom and dad weren't around. And so, you know, just leave your imagination. The worst possible things happened to me, the worst things. And so I uh, was kind of just a free agent. <laughs> it's just all over the place. And um, actually some friends of my mom's who were rowers, uh, saw what was going on and they asked me if I wanted to cox their boat. <laughs> well, I'm 150 pounds, I'm 5'10", and I don't look like a coxswain. Uh, but I was like, you know what, I'll try whatever it is, I'll try. So I got in the seat, they showed me how to do it, and I saw rowing and I thought, wow, that looks like fun, let me try that. So started rowing, loved it, and I just started spending more time doing that. Uh, found out that my high school actually had a rowing program, And they got on the little yellow bus at 5.30 every morning and went and rode at Lake Merritt. And I just fell in love with it, fell in love with it. Yeah. Uh, After high school, uh, ended up getting accepted to Boston University. And lo and behold, they had a great crew team. I uh, made varsity with them. My life started turning around big time. And uh, graduated uh, from Boston University and joined the military. Uh, did the military for 16 years, then uh, found the fire service, which I loved. I probably would have gone active military had I not found the fire service, which Mm -hmm. that was my dream. Did that for 20 years. And then my life, uh, you know, I've just constantly been able to uh, be a responsible adult (laughs) since I was 15. And I think that uh, had I not found rowing, it would not have been the case. There's no way.
1: A a lot of people tell us they get hooked on rowing for a lot, you know, lots of different reasons. Uh, I love being on the water. I love the competition, um, any number of things, but this notion of finding stability and moving yourself forward in your life in a small way, very different than yours, but that's what rowing brought to me as well. When I was in my early twenties, I was living in a group house and we were just, we were just 20 year olds living in the city and we were drinking and smoking and doing stuff we shouldn't have been doing. And then I learned to row and it was like, boom, switch flipped. And I lost a lot of friends immediately. They were like, what are you doing? Like what's happening with your life? And I'm like, I'm making a change. (laughs) And if you don't want to be a part of it, I'm sorry. So I'm a little curious for you when you're 15, not in a good scene, you start rowing.
0: What did your friends think? Um, Well, I mean, I really didn't have friends. (laughs) These were just degenerates, right? They weren't really people I would call friends at that time. Um, But once I started uh, rowing, I developed friendships, like real friendships that were on the crew team. And I kept those friendships actually through pretty much through college. I kept in touch with a lot of the girls that I rode with from high school. And then the other people that were I was hanging out with, they just disappeared, right? And uh, on the top, another side of the story is I've been drinking since I was 12 years old. I was an alcoholic. So that led into some of this other these other groups I was with. And I'm now sober 11 years. I think that also has to do with just being able to get my act together, right? Like, okay, everything else is fixed. But I've been doing this behavior for a long time, so you know, just coming out of that world, I feel like I was yanked out of that, and I'm really lucky to be yanked out because there's still some people that I went to high school that are still in that world. So yeah, it's just been a good. it's a been a good turnaround for me uh, after I left the f- fire service. I got married. He was a firefighter as well, and been trying to convince him to row he won't even try it (laughs) he's a handball
2: guy my Uh,
0: husband won't either my
1: husband's not interested we've been together for 17 years he's like no thank you Oh my
0: god (laughs) like don't try to talk me into it no yeah so it's it's sort of a little bit like when I saw a most beautiful thing it was like wow that's sort of my story right there because I could Mm -hmm. have been having an ankle bracelet and some other stuff right um i did end up having a kid when i was 18 so he's 35 now and i'll be 55 uh, on friday so yeah happy amazing, birthday you know and he's a good kid like he turned out great and he's married and lives a productive life but it could have been a whole different story
2: So um I'm curious about these mom friends. What did they say to you? Did they say, hey, you gotta come try this thing? It's oh, these
0: were guys. I was thinking about mom. These were men. They were male male masters rowers.
2: Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. Okay.
0: Dads too. I think they were just kind of noticing the path I was on. And my Mm. mom would have these little parties, and that's when they would get to see me. A bunch of these guys were rowing together. They were in an eight. They were always rowing a six people in an eight because they didn't have enough guys and they didn't have a coxswain. So um, that's where I kind of got thrown into that mix.
2: That's really nice. I can just imagine a scenario like that. Like we've talked to a lot of people who uh, feel like they were approached at the right time in the right situation and they said hey you should try rowing and we've interviewed so many people like that on the podcast you never know like that learn to row poster is on the wall you decide oh what the heck I'm going to take that class and And I never would
0: have tried it I don't think I would have tried it because now like I try to talk kids into rowing and they're like we don't know what that is what is that (laughs) but Mm -hmm. he kind of explained to me as a coxswain (laughs) like which is really funny how that got my attention (laughs) and maybe that I was in charge of a bunch of guys in a boat I don't know yeah who knows uh but it got me to a good place
1: do you yeah. remember like that first practice did someone did one of those guys literally like pick you up and bring you to practice and say we're gonna get you there and get you in a boat
0: no actually they were like hey come down and try I got on the bus their boat house was in deeper in the ghetto than I ever thought it would be. It was in a really bad area. And I ended up, you know, I remember that trip big time. I was on a bus, I had to get a transfer to get to this, the place where the boathouse was, it's not there anymore. And, uh, I was like, wow, what am I doing right here? It's six in the morning. It's dark. I'm going out to do this thing. Uh, once I saw them, I felt like, okay, it's all good. And then I did, I went back a couple times and, and coxed their boat. And then I started rowing. That That's great. Place. Yeah. H-
2: have you ever had a chance to chat with them since then I about haven't. where, no, where you've ended up?
0: Those guys. I don't know where those guys are anymore. <laughs> 40 years ago.
2: So what made you choose Boston university?
0: Uh, actually I'm a musician. I play bassoon. I didn't think that question would come up. That's great. And uh, they were looking for bassoon players big time. And so I auditioned and I got it. So I got a scholarship in music and uh, that's what got me to BU and ended up loving Boston. I didn't know anything about it before I got there.
2: It's quite a big shift uh, from sunshine to blizzards.
0: Yeah, big time. It was horrible. horrible. But I loved it because of rowing. It was such an incredible experience rowing on the Charles and yeah, just... Coming from like ghetto girl to, oh, now you live in Cambridge and you get to row every morning.
1: What was that women's program like at the time?
0: It wasn't great. So, this was in 84. So, it's right in the beginning of Title IX. And so nothing had changed. It was the old BU boathouse, holes in the floor, rats running through the boathouse. The girls' locker room door wouldn't close. So all the guys would be standing outside of the door looking in. Yeah, that was a whole different building. And now the DeWolf boathouse is spectacular. It's beautiful. It's one of the, I think it's the crown jewel on on the Charles. It's Um, the
2: start line boathouse, isn't it?
0: That's right.
2: Yep. Yep. Been by it many times
0: spectacular place to row now. Occasionally, like for Head of the Charles, we usually meet and have our little reunion. And it's like, oh, we want to row out of this boathouse now. But you have
1: a pretty good history. I'm going to skip ahead a little bit, but it sounds like you have a pretty good history with Head of the Charles. You've had the opportunity to row it, a bunch and won it a handful of times. Can you tell us, tell us a little bit about that?
0: Yeah. You know, I continued to row after uh, college. I kept rowing On my own just you know as a singles and then jumping in boats where I could Joined Marin rowing and with Marin I won I think we won twice with Marin yeah twice with Marin and then uh joined Chinook after I retired from the fire service I moved to Idaho Coeur d'Alene Idaho up north and I rode with Coeur d'Alene rowing association which is like that big it's tiny a beautiful place to row spectacular but uh, Idaho is filled with a whole bunch of people that aren't like-minded like my husband and I so yeah that was a very tough time this last six years that we lived in Idaho was a very hard time so yeah I joined Chinook rowing when I moved to Idaho because I didn't have a competitive team I could row with Mm -hmm. And then we won two golds with Chinook, which is so cool. One of them's a very famous video where we had to pause at the Weeks Bridge because we were going to hit Marin. <laughs> and that what was my old team. Was this? I and think I we ended up that. winning and beating them. And yeah. I saw that. Oh, did yeah. you? Yeah, oh, yeah. Leslie Anderson I Wright was there that Wright. year. Yeah, I saw that. Aha. So our yep. coach, Leslie Anderson Wright, was also the coxswain that year. Oh, yeah. And it was tremendous what she had us do. It was so cool. She was like, all right this is coming up here. Marin's coming. Be prepared to pause. Just listen to me. Trust me. It's okay. Yeah. And we're like, what? Pause. And we actually had, um, Karin Davies was in our boat. <laughs> so that Ooh. was cool. Uh, and we were, all of us were like, we're going to pause right here. Okay. So we paused, they went by us and then we did a, a start and we zipped right past them. And it was like, I was there that year. I saw crazy. that Yeah, I was
1: too. I wonder if we saw them from <laughs> the shore
0: together, Tara. It
2: was crazy. Otherwise, okay, so- I was like,
1: they paused." I was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> Leslie. Leslie is a big fan of both Study State Network and uh, CZOR Foundation, oh. which I also do. And then I rode with Merida Scully. Oh, Merida.
0: Awesome. Was one I of the founders? Merida. Yeah. 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 She's great too. So Leslie, yeah. I'm a big fan of Leslie. I, she's a good close friend of mine. I see her all the time. She's a rock star coach and an incredible coxswain, amazing athlete. And I just have major, major, I get all choked up thinking about her. Yeah. She's a, a big influence on my life right now. Yeah, she's a force. So two uh, Charles wins there. I won a silver and a four in my sophomore year in college for Heather Charles. Yeah. <laughs> That's a long time ago. So and then we did the Henley. So with Chinook again, we um, Leslie took us to a uh, gold medal there in the C8 and with Marin too. So the Henley, Masters Henley was really fun. Really fun. I'll definitely do that again. And then Worlds, uh, FISA Worlds won that in a pair because Leslie said, hey, get into a pair with Lisa Gallo. And both of us are like, we don't want to do a pair. We want to do a double. It's easier. <laughs> and then we ended up winning the pair. So that's brilliant. It. Excellent. So, actually, I was I
1: did I was poking around a little bit, and I came across I guess your Vimeo channel, and I saw there's a video of you with it says just Lisa, but is it is that the same Lisa that you're talking about? Yep, that's good,
0: Lisa Gallo. Um,
1: Tara, if you haven't checked it out in our in our show notes, um, I've got a link, and it's uh, it's a video of um, Tracy and Lisa, and it's just calm, beautiful rowing. It's it's really fantastic <laughs> to okay. watch. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Steady State Network and on Twitter at Steady State Row. Sign up for our e newsletter and become a patron at steadystatenetwork.com.
2: When you join the Steady State Patreon community as a subscriber, you're supporting the new narrative in rowing and a couple of your fellow entrepreneurs making it happen. Patrons get bonus content, swag, and early access. Join today www.steadystatenetwork.com and on instagram facebook and twitter at steady state network in two we're back with tracy falkenthal of texas rowing center that's one two
1: there's there's so much to unpack here you've got so much going on in your life or have had so much going on in your life um And so many successes. You've worked your way through a handful of different master's clubs, um, master's events. uh, And I actually want to take one little step back because a lot of collegiate rowers burn out and walk away from the sport after graduation. And I'm curious, did you take a break or what kind of happened? I think you went into this a little bit after college. What was the next step for you for rowing?
0: Yeah, I definitely took a break and a lot of it wasn't really rowing. It was more that winter in Boston <laughs> I was like, okay, I need a break. So it just kind of fell in line, right? Like I finished my, uh, got my degree and then I took a couple months off of rowing just to chill and then winter hit. And I was like, I'm going to live in Boston cause I love it here. And then after that first winter, I was like, nah, I'm out of here. So I ended up moving back to California and I didn't row, I would say from, from May until uh, February of the next year. So that was the break I took. And then I've kind of taken breaks here and there that have lasted, you know, a couple of weeks at a time, but I've just continued to row the whole time. Yeah. What do you
2: think? um, I know that when we row, there's different. um, The, the experience of rowing, the experience of becoming part of a team and the experience of being coached uh, it's kind of unique for people being especially this particular kind of synchronicity and this kind of uh, sinking up and this kind of uh, you know we're only as strong as our weakest you know teammate and that we all bring each other up and and the rising tide lifts all boats kind of mentality. Um, where do you think that clicked in because you've gone on to become someone very involved in making sure other people feel great in their bodies, feel safe as a firefighter, feel safe as a as a military in military service. And you've, how much of that has come from rowing and how much of that has just merged with your sort of natural ability to want to help mold people and help uh, be there for people?
0: Uh, definitely more so from the military. I think um, rowing was good to kind of pull me out of a bad situation that I was in. But then uh, going into the military um, was a really great confidence builder. And immediately I was put into... Uh, I was in a platoon sergeant role, so I was in charge of 30 people right away, and so that kind of taught me the leadership, weakest link, you know, strong as strong is your weakest link, and you can't leave anyone behind, so that was tremendous for me. Uh, the biggest thing in my life, I think the biggest turnaround for me was the military. That just took me out of flower child, flaky girl to, uh, you know, combined with rowing, it took me to who I am today. And then the fire service was on top of that, right? So I did the military. I was in the military 16 years when I got into the fire service. So I kind of came in the fire service late, I was 31. And so I did both of them for a while, um, but the fire service was like a no brainer cause it's paramilitary. So it was an easy step for me to go that direction. Uh, but definitely that's where I got a lot more self-esteem, a lot more confidence was military the uh, taking care of my body part, uh, watching what I eat, like the military taught me a lot of that stuff that I didn't really have parents around to teach me that stuff.
2: And as a result, you became a personal trainer, health coach, and then of course, turned your experience in rowing into a coaching role. Um, I know I talk a lot about in my coaching talks. And when I talk about coaching, that I've had this thread that goes through my uh professional career and it was maybe something that came to me naturally but it was sparked or nurtured throughout my career do you have like a guiding principle or is there something that you're always just kind of coming back to like that's the filter through which you look look uh through your career and how you make your choices and how you interact with people do you have like a guiding principle or a mission value statement
0: yeah, um, definitely. My mom had lung cancer. She never smoked a day in her life. Uh, I was trying to think about how I would help her if she went down. And so I called 911 and the paramedics showed up and they were firemen. And that's what got me, or firefighters, that's what got me thinking that direction. This is before I got into the military. I didn't have that, you know, focus yet. Uh, even my mom was like, you know, always stay fit, always stay healthy. Um, you know, keep a good on your head on your shoulders as much as she could, she would tell me that stuff. Uh, but that's kind of what got me thinking about fitness and encouraging other people. Uh, as I started getting more advanced in the in the military, they have a lot of different things that were encouraging people to, you know, compete, and to take care of your bodies and take care of yourself. So I sort of developed that mantra, like, okay, you know, let's, let's do the best we can. I know it sounds cliche, but do the best you can and take care of yourself. So a lot of that is um, I don't really have a mission statement or a mantra, but that would be the closest thing for me.
1: Yeah. I have a, a good friend who's um, about 70 years old and she's been a scholar, a single scholar, for, I don't know, I want to say six, seven years, not very long. She learned pretty late in life. But besides sculling, she just keeps herself incredibly busy. She's doing two days every day. She's lifting in the morning, rowing at night, whatever it is. And I asked her one time kind of what keeps her motivated. And she, her, her mantra was like, use it or lose it. Like, I just want to use it while I've got it. And I've always loved that from her. And so that has motivated me even beyond kind of the own senti- my own sentiments that I had about, about staying fit as long as I could. Just that use it or lose it mentality was a, a real light bulb moment for me um, when she said
2: That's
0: that. I like that. Yeah. Well,
2: I also think that what well, I want to riff off something you said about how you weren't raised with these kinds of uh, ideas about uh, that, that I think that there are people in the world who don't have the privilege of knowing their bodies the privilege of understanding nutrition the privilege of like that's a that's a that's a special type of family that actually talks wow. about food in a healthy way and talks about moving our bodies in a healthy way i right. think it happens more so now because there's social media and people are seeing uh you know families that do all these things together and and right. and there's a more of an aspirational quality to it but when we talk about inclusion you know we always uh talk about programs like Erg Ed or Road of the Future here in Seattle, the Road of the Future program, where they weren't just talking about getting kids to boathouses. They actually needed to give them rides. They needed to teach them about nutrition and snacks and right. how to fuel their bodies and how to take care of themselves when they weren't on the water and they weren't at the boathouse. And so I think uh, where I know we're going to get to the to the inclusion stuff here, here in a second, um, but I'm curious, when did becoming a rowing coach, take cold. Did you find that you had a natural ability to convey how to be a great rower?
0: Yeah, so as I was kind of ending my career in the fire service, my husband's like, "You should think about being a personal trainer." I had just gotten my uh, pro card as a bodybuilder, so you can see like a running theme for me. I am uh, have a huge addictive personality, like very can be dangerous, right? So um, addiction has been a problem for me, and I can now I can sort of like identify like, okay, that's addiction right here. This is like not healthy. So I had that with, uh, I've had it with rowing before, uh, definitely with bodybuilding, got obsessed about it until I had to have the pro card and, um, I've had it with other, you know, food stuff and, you know, eating disorders, whatever it is, like, that's me all or nothing. So, uh, my husband's good for me. He starts going like, babe, something's going on right here. Let's take a chill pill. Mm-hmm. Um, so I started doing training. Uh, to get my pro card as a bodybuilder. And then I got my pro card and I was already uh, developing a clientele list for my personal training, which I loved helping people get in better shape feeling. And it wasn't just personal training. It was health coach. It is, this is what I do now. Health coach, personal training, um, helping people, you know, figure out uh, how to live a happy life just balanced homeostasis, balanced, happy life. And so that in turn was coming back to me, right? It was paying me back because I was helping people again, you know, as a firefighter, I wanted to help people as I'm retired as a firefighter, I was thinking like, I want to keep filling that hole. I want to keep helping. So I had a huge clientele list from my personal training. So I kept doing that. Uh, The training started to become like, something that was really easy for me and people were getting stronger it wasn't me doing the work I was just suggesting things to them and helping them train and figuring out their food stuff and lifestyle but it was happening and I was like wow this is really working great and people are getting results uh and so that branched into you know a couple of my friends were like hey would you mind like coaching a couple times in the rowing boat like just helping us for a rowing stroke and I'm like, "Sure." Uh, started helping people on the erg started getting people interested in learning how to row friends of mine in Idaho were asking me to help them coach there so that's where that bug came in and now it's like that's taken over my personal training because it's more fun (laughs) I like the personal training and health coach but I love uh, being on the water and coaching juniors mostly juniors and some masters I just like that side of it. It takes me to a healthier place than where my bodybuilding was for sure. So-
2: well, you talked about in that U.S. rowing video, and, and we'll put a link in the show notes to that video if people haven't seen it, if our listeners haven't seen it. And you used the phrase, uh, rowing saved my life. And you're the second, if not uh, probably of many of our listeners, but we are the second of one of our podcast guests who said the same thing. She had had some traumatic events, uh, had some PTSD, uh, severe anxiety and was, again, just reached, someone reached out to her and said, you might make, make a great rower. And she rode for, uh, I think it was called West Side Rowing Club in Buffalo, New York. And, and she says, rowing saved my life. And and she was 13, you know, at the time and, and still and now is on a path to becoming a collegiate coach and awesome. really, yeah, Corinne. Um, so I want to talk to you about that, paying it forward and that element of, uh, coming into it with that. I don't know if it's a sense of gratitude or it's a sense of, um, of awe around what a sport can do for someone. Uh, in this case, it happens to be rowing, but can you talk about the, the life-saving aspect or, and, or how that comes into the playing it forward?
0: Yeah, it definitely saved my life there. Uh, <laughs> that is without question. Um, I am on a tangent to get minorities inclusive LBGTQ, dei i'm trying to get everyone to row i mean people make fun of me cuz i walk right up to people on the street or you know at trader joe's like hey come out here and try this uh i'm uh, i'm very like i won't say aggressive but just to the point where i'm like we got to think outside the box here people we got to make some changes uh we've got to make our sport less elite, more approachable. Like this is something where we've got to change. Uh, U.S. Rowing's even like, what do we need to do? We need to get out there. Everybody needs to get out there, not just me or some other black girl, but everybody. Um, I feel like it has to be something like this has to be a big change. We have to represent our community and our sport. The sport will die without it. And uh, there's so many. Like I love that you said. Are you in awe of the opportunities? Yeah, it's incredible the amount of opportunities out there. They're sitting on this table right here, and mm-hmm. nobody's, able, no one's taking it. They're not taking it. Mm. So um, I'm trying to figure out a way to, you know, get out there. So little by little, like the movie, a most beautiful thing, I think, really opened up a lot of people's eyes. Um, you know, honestly, most black people already knew this stuff. So, uh, but it's good because now everybody's being becoming aware and thinking outside of the box. So that's what uh, I'm definitely in awe of the opportunities that are out there, and I feel like um, the biggest thing that we can be doing is everybody just thinking outside of the box and not just. You know, hey, what, because I know a lot of people are like, hey, what can I do? Well, you guys know what to do. You, you, There's, just come up with something, like go out and talk to people, go to high schools, go to learn to rows. Learn to rows are great for that. Just put butts in seats. That's what Matt nifton at TRC. Just put butts in seats, get them rowing, get, get them to try it
1: yeah you know and it's no secret right that clubs have for basically forever been the domain of white and wealthy and conversations um about diversity and inclusion that had kind of been happening for a while really exploded last year with the black lives matter movement and there were a couple of missteps last summer that us rowing made but what it turned into was this national conversation about us rowing and it forced us to look at what the welcome mats look like outside of all of our boathouses so um based on kind of what we've seen happening across the country and I know you said you're not really on social media but there's a whole lot happening there um w- what do you think about you know conversations that have been had in the last year and and my question was you know, do you think we're moving in the right direction and if so what's happening well
0: and what else needs to be done yeah, yeah have you have seen
2: hard. anything that's working really well
0: yeah I do think we're moving in the right direction. It brought up a whole bunch of great points and a whole bunch of people got angry about it. But at the same time, now we have like the ability to like get fired up and fight about this. Just in our club, we've been doing simple stuff like post a picture of some black people rowing. (laughs) Here's a picture of a, a master's Asian lady getting in her boat. I mean, stuff like just simple little, you know, eye catching stuff like that that stuff is working. And I didn't think I was like, Oh my God, that's so basic. No, one's going to look at that. And lots of people have been looking and stuff like that. So that's kind of like thinking outside of the box, but it's so simple. I was just amazed that it was working.
2: Mm-hmm. Um,
0: so I feel like stuff like that, the little, we call them intro to rowing. We have ITR events for people getting them in and like immediately putting them a barge, learning, teaching them how to sweep row in a team boat right away. Stuff like that is huge. Um, we're not trying to like get members or make sales. We're just trying to get people rowing that wouldn't have seen themselves wrong. Um, we also have swim instructors that are um, lined up and we have a pool now, yay. Or we're gonna wow. teach people how to swim. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, cool. we, one of our members has a, her own pool um, and she is doing a lot for adding diversity to rowing. Dr. Elizabeth Potter is like spearheading high school, trying to get diversity, uh, trying to get high schools that are in these uh, really bad parts of Austin to come up and row. Yeah. yeah. She's putting out a lot of money. She knows a lot of people. She's got a pool. She's like, what do you guys need? What do you need? Like people like that are incredible.
2: And it's a, great, it's a great moment when you can actually take that from, from a donor or from a, a person who wants to get involved and say, yes, okay, let's push the ball forward. Let's take advantage of this resource, even just people's energy around it. And I think with social media stuff, you're right, like just simply posting images of your actual boathouse population, we're all learning that lesson with just show people that they can be there, like, and it could be that simple as a poster or a or a TikTok or or something that's up in and the world. And then
0: also the owner, um, I think I said his name a bunch. Right? Anyway, Matt Nifton is my a good dear friend of mine, but he's been very generous, right? Like with memberships and events and all these things we're doing. Like without him, like there's no way we would be making these changes. Hmm. So he's always giving me kudos like, wow, you're getting all these people here. And we're we're adding diversity to the team because you're here. And I'm like, no, brother, this is your club. You've made this happen. So uh, without the, you know, we have like 28 arrows in Moss 24s that we can put out a bunch of people at one time in singles. Wow. We training. We have a whole bunch of training doubles that are like Moss training doubles that are very beginnery very stable boats we have uh beginner quad but you know we have lots of different um equipment and coaching staff and we have everything at our disposal to like teach a whole bunch of people so um he's willing to you know with these high schools that are coming in this is brand new he's been trying he's like i'm this white guy and i've been trying to get diversity in this club for a long time go get it tracy so we've been like partnering to do a whole bunch of stuff so those changes in our club, in particular, those are big changes in Austin. Obviously Austin is a really liberal environment and we want to have like diversity, everything. So the city, that's the next step is we are trying to like uh, have a liaison to the city where we can start making this more of a city kind of inclusion event, not just TRC, but everywhere.
1: Now, for people who don't know Austin, can you tell us what the rowing scene is like there both at the master's level and maybe at the junior's level. So what, what is the pipeline uh, for rowers there?
0: So there's a uh, Texas rowing center, which is where I am. It's at the west end of Lady Bird Lake. And then there's Austin rowing center, which is down by the east end. Um, up until, I'm not really sure, but up until a couple years ago, we didn't really have a lot of national level athletes. And now when winter comes, the whole dock is filled with Olympians and national level athletes. So that's kind of cool to have that vibe coming in. And it's starting to become this place where people are like, oh, TRC, we got to go there in the wintertime and do our, our winter training. Um, there's pretty much two rowing clubs. That's it on the on Ladybird and it's huge. So we have room for uh, lots of rowing. Um, Austin Rowing Club is uh, a little bit different. They're run by a board of directors. It's a beautiful boathouse, spectacular mm-hmm. boathouse and they have showers, which is really nice. <laughs> um, but they're not open as much as we're open. They're a little bit more conservative with the times of years that they're closed. Uh, TRC on the flip side, we have a beautiful new boathouse now. We're open all the time. So you know that you're going to be able to get on the water all the
2: Mm -hmm. time. Plus they have that second revenue stream of uh, boat rentals and uh, have just mastered that. I think uh, boathouses that realize that as not only a revenue potential, but as a participation potential. So you might see more diversity at your boathouse if you offered stuff that was more accessible, like a kayak or a, you know, a paddleboard or something that, um, didn't have that tinge of elitism to it, that rowing might, you know, if people are just wanting to get into the sport and they show up at your boathouse and they go, well, what's that over there? Yeah, that's like that looks part. cool. <laughs> and uh, what I love about Texas rowing center is that it is so like, come on in, like literally no walls. It's just like, There's Hey no everybody. <sighs> And it's not like uh, at Austin, which is a very traditional boathouse, there's like a big imposing door and there's, it's a big building. And, you know, uh, we talked about with uh, Richard Butler said this, that you can't see from the front door of a boathouse, what actually is happening because rowing happens behind the boathouse. Right. So how do you tell people on the front of the boathouse? Yeah what's happening. And in Texas's situation, much like, uh, Brandon Johnson's BLJ rowing, much like uh, a parks department program where you're just sort of out and about with everybody. Um, you're very visible. So
0: Love, love Brandon Johnson, love Richard Butler. Those, those are two of my idols. Those are great people with what's happening with diversity inclusion. Uh, yeah, that's interesting. An interesting take on the front of a boathouse. Like even the BU boathouse is like complete wall. There's, you can't tell what's going on in there.
2: It adds a level of mystery and a level a barrier, I think, to understanding. So what if BU boathouse put, you know, a mural on the front of their boathouse that That's had like a, a mural of all the different kinds of rowers that, that, that they serve. Well, I'm curious about DEI initiatives in the community and like the different things people are trying. And one thing I feel like is exciting. And I know Rachel and I talk about this a lot is new boathouses and new clubs. Uh, founding out of uh, these kinds of initiatives. Uh, Relentless Rowing Academy, we talked about before with Ash Pryor. Um, she's definitely a rising star and a beacon yeah. um, for people to learn from in terms of just inclus- being inclusive and like, hey, come on in and let's play. I yeah. was curious what's going on um, where you are
1: both for the master scene, but also oh. at the scholastic at level. And T- Tara and I talk a lot about the pipeline, both for I've- rowers and coaches. So, you know, Is there a scholastic rowing scene there? And then is there a pipeline to move kids from
0: rowing in high school to rowing in college to rowing at the master's level? Yeah, so great. I'm glad we talked about this. Yeah, we have uh, quite a bit. The juniors program run by Felicia Thrash is incredibly successful. We have a whole bunch of high schools, and I'm not going to quote how many, but it's a bunch of high schools that are under the TRC umbrella. So, it's a rowing center. They're under that umbrella. They compete. They're very fast. The women are very fast. The men are few in numbers, but they're fast. Um, and a competitive team. So, we have uh, we start with the rec crew, which is rowing, paddleboard, canoe, and kayak. So, they start in that right away. They start in kind of the funzy stuff and they row. You know, that's um, the same time during the year as the, the novice and varsity. Then they come up to novice and then they spend a year there and then they. They do the varsity squad if they can make varsity. And then after that, if they make the cut up to the U17, U19. So I'm going to be heading off here in, on June 18th for the Olympic development program. Oh. And we have mm-hmm. some of the girls uh, actually going to that in Florida. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of the guys will be going to Penn AC. Uh, so it's it's a very competitive program for juniors. After that program, we've been uh, we had a couple people that got scholarships. UCLA, I think was our USC rather, uh, Boston University. So we have a lot of um, kids that are progressing to the collegiate level. After that, we have some kids that progress to the national level. Kendall Brewer, I don't know if you know her. <laughs> so and we have a couple of other people who who are uh, either national team or who have tried for the national team. They usually come back and we're trying to get uh, Kendall and Felice, to Felice Mueller uh, to come back and help coach, do some coaching with us too. So I think it like it's nice because they're uh, now we're starting to see the juniors that were U seventeen or U nineteen athletes come back to the club, work as coaches and row as masters. Right, so it's a really good circle. Of rowing
1: and coaching. Yes, yes. It was really interesting to hear about as well, and actually, not quite the answer I was expecting. Just because I actually don't know a whole lot about Texas Rowing Center. So, what what I'm used to um, at the local level for for scholastic rowing is, you know, there there are schools across the area. They have their own programs, and they, you know, they're part of the scholastic network and those crews row against each other. But to to hear that everything's happening under one big umbrella organization that's well funded, well supported. And now, like you're saying, you've got this group of people that have made their way through the levels and can come back and bring their their knowledge and skill sets right back to the Texas Rowing Center and keep it keep it moving along and keep it vibrant and engaged is really impressive. And I wonder, because
0: I've never been in a rowing club that's had a sole owner never (laughs) this is the first Mm -hmm. time I was like sole owner is that possible I didn't think that was possible I thought you had to have a board of directors and so I looked at that for level three I took the U.S. rowing coach certification level three which was wow incredibly hard (laughs) oh my god it was way hard I thought it would I felt like I was getting my master's degree Mm. crazy hard and fun really great time um but we talked about you know, you, you develop your ideal club, whatever you want it to be. You mm-hmm. want it to be board of directors. You want sole owner. How do you want it to be run? How does it work out? It was such a great assignment and mm-hmm. I never would have picked sole owner. And I'm like, sole owner. That's yeah. what I want. That's working great. So yeah, it's an interesting business model and it's really hard, right? Cause everything goes to Matt and a lot sure. of it is, you know, What I say goes and a lot of it is, well, let's talk about it. He also has a charity, uh, Texas Rowing for All. And that's all of the adaptive rowing and uh, Travis Mannion Foundation. That's our veterans. Um, We will be having uh, police and fire hopefully pretty soon. Yeah, there's a lot of arms, but everything filters into one. (laughs) I know.
2: I love that. I'm really inspired by that because I'm a founder of a rowing club. Oh. After about six years of running it as a, as a sole proprietor, as a, as a sole business owner, um, I thought I'm leaving so much money on the table. People want tax deductions for their donations. So I got a nonprofit status. And I've been in the nonprofit sector my whole career as a professional fundraiser. That was my career for many, 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 many years. So you would think, right, that I would just like op- openly embrace this this business model. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, it's a challenge. I think it's a challenge. Yeah. And I, I love that idea of having the multiple arms. I think boathouses can think outside the box that way. Um, when you have a motivation as a sole proprietor or as a business or a corporation, it's a different vibe. And then if you have a charitable arm, you know, I think there is an assumption that we should all be charities. And I think that really can uh, influence how we run. Yeah, the well, business. the
0: paddleboard stuff helps us row, <laughs> and that's how Matt puts it. Hey, this paddleboard stuff you guys are complaining about it helps it so that we can row right here. So
2: yeah, yeah, that's great. Have you ever seen any models around the globe or anywhere else in the world that that you'd like to try? Like I know with Fulham Reach Boat Club in the UK, they've been going to prisons and jails and teaching people how to row in prisons and jails. They have this great program, um, and that's these guys
0: fantastic. will
2: fantastic. Well, they come out of prison and they're. Their repeat offense rate is like down. They hook them up with a wow. boathouse near where they live. They get them out of their friend groups. They get them away from the people that made them make bad decisions or helped them make bad decisions. And it's a great program. Steve, o, Steve O'Connor is the name of the guy that started that. You know, we we see some programs that inspire us. You know, like that—that seems so obvious. Like, oh, of course. You know, we should we should just be taking it everywhere we go.
0: Dr- My nephew is—he's uh, a landscape architect, and he just got his master's from Berkeley. And so he showed me his—they recorded his thesis, his um, master's thesis—and it was all about how do we reduce racism in parks. I'm like, what? I was really impressive that I—I never even would have thought like parks can be more inclusive. And I didn't think that parks are racist, but there are some parks that have that implication. Um, And then also the, you know, of course the artwork, the science that goes into it. Um, And I thought, well, that could be something where we look at rowing. Has rowing been seen as racist? Uh, Obviously it's been seen as elite. Like maybe we can kind of dive into it the way he dove into it and look at it from another angle with history and This is relatively new for black people anyway. We have uh, a lot of other minorities that are not hesitant, right, to come and try. But for some reason, one of the hardest demographics, not inclusion, black women, (laughs) black women, my girls, me, that's me, right? So I'm thinking like, hey, I'm gonna get myself out there and they can see, and this, this is how it is. They just need to see that I'm doing it. So I do that, no takers. They just stick their toe in the water and like, nope. And so there's all these weird things about it. And when I talk to kids about it, they're like, well, rowing's not seen in the black community is cool. Right. So Mm -hmm. do I just, what do I do? So Matt and I talked and we're like, well, let's invite all the kids from all the high schools to do it. Doesn't matter what color they are and let's make it cool. So we're trying to like make rowing cool. Right. Uh, Adults are more inclined to do it. Like I have a whole bunch of minority men and women who come inclusive men and women they're willing to try but kids are like impossible to get black girls to come out there Hmm. um so looking at like trying to you know looking at it through an eye of is it seen as racist is it seen as elite yeah for sure um is it unapproachable yeah a lot of times it is so we're trying to make it more approachable less elite looking through it of the eye of like is it is it seen as a racist thing you know can we make it cool right um, and i think u.s rowing helping now with a lot of it and even like different uh i noticed different vendors like crew room i get like different emails from all these clothing jl they're starting to post like black models and you know like trying to like hey here's a black person rowing and maybe they just handed that person oars for a second or maybe yeah. they're rowers <laughs> but right. um i think it's they're everybody's trying to reach outside the box on that
2: well, yeah. if you were on social media, I we want to alert you to a, an Instagram account, and it's a very young coxswain um, that we interviewed. We didn't realize how young she was. We 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 just oh, find black these Instagram
0: the, the black, black coxswain. coxswain. She's yeah. great. I heard her podcast with you guys. Oh, thank you. Oh, good. Good. Yeah. Like- she was
2: awesome. But yeah. what I loved about what she's doing is that she's literally like mining the internet for the images and she doesn't know any of those people. She yeah. is maybe meeting them through social media and through the post, but she's mining team pages, team Instagram accounts looking for rowers of color, coxswains yeah. of color. And they're not just coxswains. I mean, they're they're all everybody involved yeah. in rowing and and just pushing it out. She's like, "We're here. We're here. Yeah. We're here. Don't be thinking about it that Um, there's this hole to be filled. It's like they actually are here and it actually is happening. But I think there's so much opportunity for uh, this kind of representation. Yeah.
0: Tons of opportunity. I love that she's scouring the internet for that. Yeah, Yeah, it's very present. In fact, we just posted the first black quad at TRC. It's yeah. a, three guys and me. And then we're about to post the first black female quad. So, which is really exciting. Like I've never rowed with three other black girls in a boat ever Oh, on the lake. So yesterday I was like a mess. I was so choked up. Like, and these girls are, you know, they're intermediate, beginner, intermediate, who cares? It was like, this yeah. is magical. Yeah.
2: But it's I have to ask hard. you, are you stroking
0: or are yeah. you bow? Yeah. Stroking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that's gotta be exciting for
1: them because they know who you are. And I don't know how much of their story you they I know taught them
0: about. how to row. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So, so that's huge.
2: Yeah.
0: yeah.
1: Wow.
2: <laughs> I can't wait to see that. We'll definitely post mm-hmm. a, a link to that. Or, awesome. Or, Thanks. Yeah. Sister. That would be great. And uh plan to come down to Austin and join you guys out yes, for a row. So yeah, we're gonna put that on our on our media tour, Tara. Yeah, we're gonna stop yeah. in
0: Austin. <laughs> Perfect. Yes, I would love to see you in person.
1: Yeah, we definitely want to do a media yeah. tour. We
0: could take a quad out.
1: Um, we could we could talk you to you for so much longer. Um <laughs> so we'd like to finish up, like Tara mentioned earlier. We'd like to finish up with a rapid fire QA.
0: Yes. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay,
2: single or double? Double. Bow seat or stroke seat? Stroke. Sprint race
1: or head race? Head race. Favorite cox command to give or receive?
0: Uh, without swearing. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) swearing! Whenever it comes to you, (laughs) shut the fucking door, (laughs) Anita (laughs) Sarat. At at what point in the race is that set? Is that
1: to close Uh, it out, to finish the race? That was at
0: San Diego Crew Classic and we were trying to get past Lake Union in the last 250 and we did it. (laughs) Nice.
2: Nice. Uh, Uni suit or tank and trowel? Tank and
0: trowel.
2: Favorite place to row?
0: Oh boy, the Henley for sure. Yeah. Uh,
2: Best piece of rowing advice you've ever received?
0: Lazy catch, Felice Mueller. (laughs) Lazy catch. Yeah, so she says, just think of it as a lazy catch. Let it fall. Let it mm-hmm. fall.
1: That's okay. Great. All right, and um most importantly, coffee before or after a row? Tea
0: before and after. I'm a green tea freak. Yeah, we're tea drinkers too. Those we're tea drinkers. Great questions. Those are great. <laughs>
1: Thank well, you. thank you for answering them. And um, it really has been fantastic talking with you and getting to know a bit about your story and about what you're involved in there in Texas. So thank you for sharing with us today. And uh, we really hope to talk to you again soon.
0: Of course. Thank you for having me. I appreciate you guys reaching out to me.
1: All right. Well, have yourself a great end of your rowing week. And uh, we'll talk to you really soon, Tracy.
0: All right. Thanks, guys. Right. Take
1: care. Bye. Bye.
2: To see photos of Tracy, along with links to the people, clubs, and regattas mentioned in this episode, check out the show notes on our website. Steady
1: State Network is interested in your story. If you've got something to share, email us at submissions at steadystate Did
2: you know that Steady State is more than a podcast? we've got virtual events happening every week that bring together the rowing community from across the country and around the world.
1: Because we miss morning practices and really miss post-practice coffee with teammates, you're invited to join us for a 30-minute coffee chat every Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern on Facebook Live. So grab your favorite mug and add your voice to the conversation. And are you looking for workout buddies? Join us for Steady State Sundays every Sunday at 6.45 a.m. Pacific, 9.45 Eastern. During these free 60-minute Steady State Erb workouts, we provide cues and insights to keep you motivated. Arrive warmed up, work at your own pace, and stick around after to talk.
2: We're also excited to be a media partner for the one-of-a-kind Para Rowing Global Meetup Series hosted by Seize the Oar Foundation these free sessions are open to all para rowing coaches athletes admins and fans to talk connect and strategize for para rowing success in 2021 and beyond
1: to find out more about any of our events and claim your spot in our lineup visit steadystate network.com slash events
2: following our great conversation with Tracy Falkenthal We asked her to send us what she thought her mantra might be on rowing, life, and everything in between.
0: Here's what she sent. Rowing is a metaphor for life. It won't work if you're not chill. Everything must be balanced in life for it to work.
2: In two, let it run. One, two, let it run. I need like a little energy today. I know, I'm so glad I made a second cup of tea.